Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. So, chapter one of Psalms. I love, I love the book of Psalms, and I don't preach from it enough because it's poetic more so than it is storytelling. And I am probably more of a storyteller when it comes to bringing forth the word. But I want to, um, I want to just make a couple of notes here this morning. And so I'll read to you. We're just going to do the first three verses. By the way, Mark, how many, where is, is Mark still in the room? He's in the bathroom. He's at the coffee shop. Guys, let's buy all the books he has. Okay, just buy them all. Just get them. Just get them. I started the book. I haven't finished it yet. I started it. Don't tell him. I actually left it outside in the rain. My wife found it, dried it out. I'm picking back up where I left off. I know, isn't that terrible? <laughs> but it's a good book. I, I like was reading it outside on the deck and then it stayed there and it rained. That like one time that it rained this summer <laughs> had to be that day. So chapter one, verse one, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Somebody say amen. amen. Nor stand in the path of sinners. Uh, all right, we got, we got one here nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. That's why I love the Psalms. It's like you don't even really need a sermon. It's just good, just by itself. It's just good. But there's, a, there's a, a progression here, or I should say a digression here that I want to speak to for a minute because I think it's important. But the very first thing that we come out of the gate with is how blessed, how blessed, how blessed. Now we live in a day and age when we use the word blessing like it's candy at Mardi Gras and we just kind of throw it out, get your blessing, bless this, bless that, I'm blessed, you're blessed, we're all blessed, too blessed to be stressed. And uh, no offense if you have that shirt. Lori, you have to have that shirt. Uh, by the way, Lori made this shirt, and it has the Church of Seven Values on it. These are for sale somewhere next week. These are for sale next week. So uh, this is an early edition. Thank you, Lori. Lori brought it to me this morning. Apparently it wasn't that cool because Lisa Beth already had one on. I thought I was cool. I thought I got the early edition, but my girl here already had one on. So I'm like, we're matchies. I should just have you come stand by me. But it'll look, make me look even paler. So I'm just going to ask you to stay where you are. How blessed is the man? Don't y'all want to know how to be blessed? I feel like we preach sermons, we write books, we wear t-shirts and coffee mugs and everything else. We have bumper stickers. Everything, it's like we're blessed. We put Instagram posts up, how blessed we are. But I want to talk about what it means to be blessed for just a second because before we get to anything else, we've got to talk about what blessing really is. Blessed does not mean, if you're writing things down, blessed does not mean, you can draw the equals with a slash mark through it, blessed does not mean change in the circumstance. Blessed means changed in the circumstance. Okay? It doesn't mean change in the circumstance in the way that we're like waiting for our blessing and, and, and in our mind we reconcile that when our circumstance changes, when the situation changes. Blessed, I'm going to say it again, does not mean change in the circumstance. 
For those of you that have been praying and praying and praying, well, I'm still praying. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for that blessing. The blessing comes when we're changed in the circumstance, when our heart is changed, when our minds are changed, when our lives are transformed in the circumstance. And, um, and that's the setup here. And I want you to get this because we spend a lot of breath and a lot of energy and we waste a lot of time waiting for circumstances to change. In fact, not just circumstances. How many of you are waiting for somebody to change? <laughs> That's what happens when you wait. Guys, the blessing, the blessing, the, the best blessing that, that heaven has to offer is when we are changed. Forget everything else. If, you, if you've ever sat with me in counseling, if you sat with Ashley and I, we've done marriage counseling or whatever it is, personal, whatever it is, one-on-one, -on -one, some, some of my like groundwork material, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share it with you right now. So, you know, this one's free. Um, just kidding, it's all free. Uh, is this. What does God wanna change in you? What is God trying to change in you? Everybody's got something in their world, in their life, in their home that they're waiting to change externally of themselves. But look at the transformation that took place in Jesus, okay? Look at the journey Jesus was on while he could have and was perfectly fine to sit back and say, I'm just waiting for this bride to change. I'm just waiting for her to get that dress on. I'm just waiting for her to... Get, take that thing to the dry cleaners. I'm just waiting. No, he came to do the father's business. And the father's business was not just to wait on everything that wasn't right to get right. The father's business was he had a transformation even for his own perfect son. Even Jesus goes through the transfiguration, goes through the crucifixion, goes through the death, the burial, the resurrection, and then the ascension. Change, 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 change. Some of you guys that don't like change, you're starting to go like this in your seat a little bit. You're like, I'm not ready to change. I'm not the one that's changing you. In fact, no one can change you except the Lord. Even when we try to change ourselves, we try to become the better version of ourselves. We try to listen to a set of audiobooks or whatever it is and, and, and try to accomplish some, you know, best life now. And the truth is at the end of the day, the best thing that can happen to us is that we allow ourselves to be changed by God in the middle of the circumstance. When the people that you came to die for are yelling, crucify him. When the ones that you are simultaneously forgiving are the ones piercing your side. Blessed means changed in the circumstance. So from there, he comes right in, comes in, coming in hot, right? Here we go. Blessed is the man who does not. And these are, these are kind of conceptual. And so I want to just kind of work through them slow. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. There is a clear digression, a clear toilet bowl thing happening here, and so we're going to just take our time. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. 
So that word wicked, we like to like immediately ascribe to that, like, you know, like the, the traditional views of wickedness, like, you know, druid, black cloak and candles and pentagrams and, you know, seances and whatever else you, maybe some of you guys didn't know seances are bad. And, um, whatever it is, you want to attach that. But really, wicked just means ungodly. And there are even places in Scripture that use this word just to mean the world. Not even like real, real, real bad, just not God. Just Gentiles. Just like, you know, the, the, the world apart from God. Even on its best day, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the world, even on its best day. Okay? See the difference there? This word walk, it means to proceed in any area of life. It's a figurative word, not just a literal word. And I think that it's important that we're able to take it that way because I think that for us, we were just talking about all the pieces of the pie and the hope, right? And how it's invested in all these different places. Well, I could probably say if you have 12 or 15 or 127 parts of your life that you may feel really good about a, a solid majority that are walking in the way of the Lord. I have God's stamp of approval here. I, you know, this, this is according to the word. This is held accountable. This is, you know, based on what I learned at the Bible study. This is, you know, whatever it is. And so we can check boxes in our lives. But even when there's one area that's proceeding in the counsel of the world. I like that he says counsel here. I like that it's translated this way because I think of counsel and I think of legal counsel. I think of lawyers and attorneys. And, uh, you know, I didn't really understand too much about that world until we came to Swansea. <laughs> And then I had a crash course in, uh, you know, uh, legal stuff. And it's been awesome. <laughs> I just love it. But the deal is this. You may say, I'm the best Christian in the world. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I do everything I'm supposed to do. But there's an area of my life where I lean toward my legal counsel. I'm doing what my lawyer is telling me to do. Okay. Well, that's all right if your lawyer is the wonderful counselor. But if he's just somebody looking out for your best interest, number one, he's doing his job, but you might not be doing yours. As a believer, saints, if we are proceeding in the advice the wisdom, oh, we can use all sorts of good godly words for this. The wisdom, right, of lawyers, therapists, doctors, life coaches who are telling you it's over, just get a divorce. Guys, blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel, in the advice. Blessed is he who does not proceed forward, who does not move forward making decisions based on the counsel of the world. I don't care how good your therapist is. If they're not a Christian, there's probably stuff that needs to be undone. Okay. 
And I only say that after years of counseling people who come from years of therapists, years of counselors. Guys, it can mean advice. It can also mean purpose. Because some of us, we, we, we manufacture a purpose for ourselves based on the goals, the careers, the relationships that something other than God tells us to have. I'm going to say it one more time, a little, little more plainly, okay? To proceed is not just to proceed in the advice or the counsel, it's to proceed in the purpose. And this is why so much of the bride is out of alignment today, okay? Because we know that we're supposed to be doing the God thing, we know that, that, that there's truth and there's principles and that there's purpose and that God has all this stuff for us, but we're almost like we've grown ignorant or sort of like have this spirit of stupor on us about what, what the world actually has for us and how things like purpose, things like our kids' education, things like the goals that we set up for ourselves. What's your five-year? What's your 10-year? A lot of this stuff, it slips in. The enemy looks for the chinks in the armor. He's looking for the weak place. He knows you have a Kevlar vest on and what it covers. He also knows the joints. He knows the weak places in the armor. And so from that place, he will help you make an excuse and justify why you're taking the advice or you're building your life around purpose that has nothing to do with God. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. This is, so hopefully you're, you're picking up on the digression here because when you walk in the counsel of the wicked, it will lead you to stand in the path of sinners, okay? So you go from walking to stopping. And I want to talk about that for just a second because, um, you may think, well, that's not a big deal, right? I'm not, I'm still not, you know, whatever. At least I stopped moving in the wrong direction. But in truth, it takes more energy to start moving something from a stop position than it does to redirect something that's moving. Now, that, that explains a lot of why apathetic Christians, lukewarm Christians, are harder to deal with than people who are like, passionate about Satan. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. I remember reading... Um, I don't remember, it was way back in like the early 2000s and it was some article from a guy who I think, I don't know if he had like converted a satanic cult or something and he was talking about Marilyn Manson and anybody remember that name? Blast from the past there that you hoped never came back. And, uh, but, but he was talking about how passion is directable and how people who are passionate atheists are easier to become passionate believers than ones who are just sort of apathetic about everything. Meh, whatever, I'll do it tomorrow. And I want to talk about that for a second because I think that sometimes we might hear ourselves responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit like this. Nah, it's too much work to do it that way. Uh, I already tried that. Uh, do I have to, Lord? Can I do something else instead? If you're responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that way, like, oh man, these people are out of this church every night of the week. Oh, <laughs> we've heard that one. 
once or twice, but it's VBS prep week. Come on, this is like the most exciting week of the year. By the way, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been working around the clock to like, the, the yeah, give it up for all these people. <laughs> Becky and Tyler DeMello have been here from before I get here to after I leave, and I actually found two unmade beds in the back hallway. I'm not sure, number one, why you guys are sleeping in separate beds, but we're, we'll get to that later. Um, just kidding, it's not them. Could be Brian Avalar, though. I, uh, I just... I, I feel like we, we, we respond to this conviction this way and we, and we justify it. We're like, there is no striving. We come up with all sorts of things that we're like not going to do. We're going to stop. And we've got to be careful where we stop. We've got to be careful where we stop. If you've responded to the Holy Spirit in one of those ways, then you've likely already stopped walking and you're standing still. And here's what I've found to be true about standing still. Standing still makes you an easy target. When you stop moving, yeah, there was an area of my life that was kind of like distracted by, you know, the counsel of whatever, or like I had started to get in an unhealthy relationship, but I'm, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm trying to, you know, I'm fighting this stuff. And, you know, there's some parts of me that are, you know, still kind of drawn in that direction, but I keep reeling them in and I, I'm asking for accountability. Hey, high five. Congratulations. Keep pushing, keep working, keep walking. Don't stop. Standing still makes you an easy target. Standing in a path means you get hit and knocked about by everything that goes by. And we see this too. People who have, you know, sometimes we see folks come into HPC and and they're coming out of a place of standing still. They're coming out of a place where, you know, they've kind of grown whatever, and the only part of them that's still moving, move them through the doors of the church and they end up in a seat. And what happens is if you're not careful, uh, by the way, Satan shows up to church too on Sundays. I don't know if y'all knew that. He's here first thing in the morning, usually operating somewhere in our sound system um, or, you know, somewhere in the parking lot. Like there's some, you know, something, some piece of giant machinery that fell out of the sky and just landed there. Uh, the enemy shows up, and if we're not careful, if we're not moving, we will get hit by everything that goes by. I'm convinced that standing still is sometimes, sometimes the standing still part is more dangerous than even what path you're on. Because like I said, if you're moving, when the wind of heaven comes, you'll shift directions. And that to me is one of the biggest blessings of leading an organization like this, leading like an apostolic thing is that folks come in with ministries, folks come in with burdens, and they've kind of been tracking on this way because they've sort of plotted a course for themselves or some pastor or somebody in their past, some spiritual father or mother said, here's the direction you're going to go. And so they've been faithful and trying to get this way and they come in and the Holy Spirit just rushes through this building. And because you're already moving, because your sails are up, you catch that wind and you take off. And it's so exciting because sometimes it's a straight up 90 degree turn. Whoa, I thought I was doing this and now I'm doing that. It's like, hey, let the Lord do his thing. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. The problem is 
when we pull up to the dock and we moor the darn thing and we just say, to heck with it. Now, when the storms come, the damage comes. Now, when, whenever waves come over your, into your life, you're not already moving in a direction to get out of that storm. You just take it. And saints, I want to encourage you, even though it feels like getting started from a stopped position will sometimes take more energy, it's worth it. It's worth it. Start moving. Start moving before you're even sure. Listen, this is where the faith comes in. The faith that we're challenged about, the hope, if we're believing, that's the thing. The only, the only time, and, and I believe this with my whole heart, part of why David was a man after God's own heart was because even when he failed, he didn't stop. When he failed God, when he, when he stumbled into sin, when he royally, epically, and, and in a national, global-sized scandal, drops the ball, the wind of heaven shifts him to repentance. Now I'm moving in repentance. Now I'm in sackcloth and ashes. And then it comes again. And, and, and through these seasons, we're not going to go all through David's life, but the man who writes these Psalms understood what it meant to keep moving, not to stop. Okay, Lord, I know there's going to be consequences for this, but God gives him a choice. Would you rather have enemies attack you? What do you, what, how do you want this? And David's response is, there's going to be consequences to this. I'd rather have them come straight from your hand. I trust myself in your hands, and I'm going to keep moving. Over and over and over again, don't stand still. Don't stand still. And finally, when you stand still for too long, we end up sitting in the seat of scoffers. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, and here's the digression, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You see, sitting down in a seat, nonetheless, not just on the ground in the path, but you're sitting in a seat, it indicates that someone, and that should have you asking who, someone has made a place for you in order to make you comfortable enough to stay. Did you ever have company over, like they just show up uninvited or unexpected and you're like, you don't want to bring them into the room that's got full of chairs, you know, because you're like, they sit down, not going to get anything done today. You know who you are. You also know who you are if you're the one who comes over and you're like, where are there chairs in this house? <laughs> you got any place to sit? Can I wet my whistler? And when it comes to this digression, this sort of downward spiral, first of all, remember this. The enemy has a plan for your life. We talk about God's plan, right? God has a plan for your life. That's supposed to help you somehow. But what we also need to know is that Satan has a plan. He's got, he's got an order for you. A, a, a process, and this is it. It ends up culminating down here from a seated, a seated position, comfortable, comfortable enough to stay. In fact, this word stay, this word um, seated, uh, it, it can also translate to dwell or abide. 
It's not just coming in and sitting down for five minutes. It's coming in and setting up a place for yourself to live there, to dwell there. And that's the interesting thing about scoffing, about scorn. That's the interesting thing about mockery, about a critical spirit. Is that a critical spirit, and you know when somebody is carrying a critical spirit because it's not something that, they, that, that turns off and on. It taints every single thing they touch. Even the good things. And uh, I think that this is, again, this is, we read this and we see this like spiral and we're like, oh, well, I'm nowhere near that end of it. But I want to challenge us on this a little bit. I want to I take ownership of this for just a couple minutes here because I think it's important that we realize that while we're not as far off as we think we are sometimes when it comes to the things of the Lord, we're also probably not as far off sometimes as we'd hope that we are when it comes to what the enemy, where the enemy wants us in the terms of how, how our mind works, what our thinking patterns are, what our processes are, what our responses and reactions and interactions are. And that critical spirit, saints, the thing that's so disgusting about it is that you don't just get to choose the things you're critical about. That thing projects criticism and scorn and scoffing on everything around you. And as a believer, nothing can be more dangerous than this. That word, it, it's interesting, it's that um, the scoffer, it's an interesting word in the Hebrew, and it literally, go back to its root, it means to make mouths at. To make mouths at. And uh, if you ever had, do you ever have a kid that like, when you say something and they think you're not looking, they make a face? They like give you the stink eye, but it's never to your face, it's like behind your back. They make a mouth. Well, behind this making mouths is even a deeper meaning. And it comes from an inability to interpret a language. Believe it or not, the, the, the background of this word, it comes from um, attempting to pronounce or articulate a language that one is ignorant of. Now, as believers... As sons and daughters of God, not only have we been given a new name like Mark was up here talking about a minute ago, but we have been given a new language. And people that interact with us should hear that language. They should hear words that they haven't heard before. A while back, you know, there was like this big disdain for um, Christianese. Remember that? Everybody's like, Christianese, oh, like all these Christian words. We need to use the, the world's words. That's fine, like if they're, you know, if they're void of meaning and that sort of thing. Uh, I don't have an issue with being relevant. I have an issue when we adopt the world's language into our mouths. And then you know what happens? Every time we see the real blessing of God, every time we see the real thumbprint of God's hand, we don't have a rubric for it. We don't have words to articulate. And so we end up making mouths. We end up mocking what God is doing. That is the purpose of a critical spirit. And that's why we have to be so careful. And I am not 
putting the kid gloves on for his Providence Church this morning. I am saying to you in the room, you who are critical, you who sit there and judge from your place of high and mighty righteousness, thank you for blessing us with your judgment. What, a, what an incredible gift to our church. <laughs> That's me being critical of the critical spirits. We've got to be careful, guys. We've got to be careful. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to, to show us the places where we've gotten comfortable making calls, where we've gotten comfortable making mouths, where we've gotten comfortable looking at something out of the corner of our eye and deciding that that thing merits our scoffing. And in his law, look at this, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, okay? So back to how to be blessed, right? How to be changed, not how to get your circumstances to change, right? We determine that, we lay that foundation, but how to be changed, here it is. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now we see Jesus coming, right? Not only is he the word becoming flesh, but he's the law fulfilled. So you can kind of sort of push Jesus into these places where you see the law. You can put the gospel of Jesus Christ into some of these places that, well, we're not under those 600 and whatever laws. And uh, yeah, we're not. We're under the one who fulfills them. So that means the work is even harder. Ashley and I were talking about this the other day because it's, uh, it's I, like, like rule following people would prefer, they like admittedly would prefer to have the legal system in place. <laughs> so you're just like, I just know I'm doing nothing wrong. I'm good. <laughs> That's called Pharisee. Just kidding. I get it. I get it because it forces us back to yield. It forces us back to surrender. It forces us back to the Holy Spirit to say, what now, God? What do I need to give today? What, what, what do I need to lay out? What do I need to sacrifice? What do I need to forfeit? What do I need to, to, to lay before you today? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates. Now, I want to just say, underline in your Bible, day and night. Day and night. Now we read this and think around the clock, right? Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Can you come up and play that? Day and night. We think of it around the clock, but when the psalmist writes this, I, my, my heart says this. David is encouraging his readers. Seriously, you can come up now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, it's all right. Yeah, I just realized because I'm, yeah, you don't know when I'm, yeah, it's okay. But dead serious. Um, day and night, I want to challenge us to stretch ourselves and think of this in terms of seasons. In terms of mountaintops and valleys. In terms of that side of the threshold that Rob was talking about and that side of the threshold. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates both day and night. Now, a few months back, we were talking about meditation. 
not like this yoga nonsense stuff, but the way that the psalmist says, breathe this in, breathe this in, be changed by it, sit in it, be baptized in the word. day and night. See, I think this, this starts to separate us here because there's two different camps of believers. There's the camps that gravitate towards the word when the sun is shining and everything is well. And we, we have a lot of pride. In fact, not even good pride, like flesh pride. We have a lot of pride in, in how well we are and how intimate we are with the word of God. But when night comes, we, uh, we hide. When darkness comes, when we're in a season of struggling or trials or, or failure or something's not right, we end up withdrawing from oftentimes literally withdrawing from our community of believers. We go find a dark place because our life got dark. And so we bring our life into alignment with the circumstances. We let the circumstance change us instead of God change us in the circumstances. And so for those of you in the room, and I'm just acting like it's everybody on this side today. So it's probably, probably didn't divide up that perfectly, but for right now, for those of you in the room who, when the sun is shining, the, the, the challenge of the psalmist is, but it's in those nighttime hours. It's in the dark night of the soul. It's in those moments when it seems like the waves are coming up over the side that you've got to get even more intimate with the one who's in the boat with you. It's when, if ever, you should be going back to the word. It's when, if ever, you should be drawing close. Some of you guys, you have made the altar space about sin. And anybody that goes down there, they must be, they must be trying to get saved. They must be, they must uh, backslid. <laughs> they must need to go down and repent. No, you should probably come down and repent for having a critical spirit. You see, that's not what this is about. This space down here, because our sins are covered. This space down here is reserved for those who want to press in and get more intimate with the word that became flesh. How do I get closer? How do I know Jesus more? It's not enough for me to stand. I've got to get prostrate. I need my face on the ground in worship, in his presence. Then there's another side of this whole thing, and it's this side of the room. And it's when we go our meditation, the times when we come back to the word of the Lord, when we come back to the law of the Lord, when we come back to the principles and the truth, it's when all hell breaks loose in our lives. And suddenly we find ourselves back in church again. Hey, look who it is. You know this is you when you come through the door and they hand you a visitor packet and you're trying to convince somebody, I go to church here, this is my church. Didn't, didn't we used to be in Seacock? <laughs> Guys, it's that, it's that foxhole Christianity, right? It's when bombs are going off, you suddenly find yourself praying again. 
You suddenly find yourself getting back into the Bible. I guess I got to get back in the word. His delight is in the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. You see, for you, shame is not an issue. The ones who meditate on the, 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 the law of the Lord in the daylight, shame is the thing that separates them from God. But for us, that daytime, those highlights, it's summer. It means it's like a lifelong party. That means we can do anything we want. And in the back of your mind, you're like, I'll just repent of it in the fall. For some of you, it's like the daytime is the relationship that you're in. And that relationship you're in keeps you from the word. It keeps you from what the word instructs. It keeps you from the fellowship that the father longs for you and to have with you both day and night. And let's stand to our feet. I'm going to close here with this. The one who meditates day and night in that law, verse three says, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Firmly planted. You see, it doesn't matter where you're planted if it's not firmly. So hopefully somebody's underlining and highlighting that in your Bible. People, people, you know, we've talked a lot about the source here, right? About Laodicea. We talk about how important it is to make sure that you're building your life over a source, over the source, that you're not distancing yourself from the source. But here's the truth. No matter how, I don't care if you get up and throw yourself in the river, because this is the extremism of humanity. When we, when we fall in love with Jesus, we're head over heels, all lost in it. But the problem is, no matter how close you are to the source, if you're not firmly planted, it's going to be a mess. You just end up washing downstream and on a bank, drying out in the sun somewhere, wondering how you got there. Firmly planted. That's how you keep yourself from being either the daytime meditator or the nighttime meditator. The daytime uh, seeker of the Lord or the nighttime urgent, it's crisis. I've got to get back to church. I've got to get back to the word. I've got to get back in his presence. Firmly planted. So it will not be uprooted. But when you're planted by the stream, it means perpetual life, perpetual source, yielding its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. He doesn't prosper because he's lucky. Doesn't say that. Whatever he does, he's lucky. No, he's not lucky. But his delight in the word means something. I read this and I think of everything that David went through, the daytime highlights and the nighttime defeats, but how David came back to his love for the Lord. You see, he uses the word of the Lord as a sounding board to hold everything up against, everything so that when the counsel of the wicked comes in, the counsel of the worldly, so that when your attorney tells you, hey, here's what I think you should do. Hey, here's your best course of action. You don't just take that. 
You hold it up to the word that you've been meditating in day and night. You hold it up to the word of the Lord and you say, does this thing stick? Part of it does. Part of it, not so much. The word becomes a sounding board. No, this is a man, he's not lucky. This is a man whose appreciation for the word, because it says his delight, his appreciation for the word turns in to an application of the word. And it culminates in his accomplishment through the word. And saints, this is what the Lord has called us to. It's not some like, oh, look what I've achieved, look what I've accomplished. No, David was aware that everything that, that came down the pipe, every good thing, where it came from, everything he accomplished, every military victory that he had, it came through the word. His appreciation for the word, because he meditated in it day and night, it evolved into an application of the word. Now when I'm making a legal decision, now when my therapist says something, now when I'm prescribed something that doesn't feel right, it doesn't sit right, something in my spirit says no, now when I'm in a relationship that's leading me down a certain path, I'm applying the word. I've been meditating on it, not just in the darkness, but in the light. And finally, The accomplishment comes through the word. Now you're a blessed man. Now you're a blessed woman. Now you've been changed. The greater accomplishment took place right here. The Lord revealed to you who he was in the midst of that. So Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that comes through it, for the power that, that went to the cross when your word became flesh, I thank you, Lord, for what it means as an impartation to us when we meditate on you, Jesus, day and night, when we draw close to you, when our intimacy is with you. Lord, I pray that you would convict us in this room this morning of the places where we have uh, forfeited some of that, where we've compromised some of that hope, some of that meditation, where we've gone and looked in other places. God, I pray that we would be reeled back in to our first love, that we would come back to that place, Lord, of oneness with you, our sole hope, our source. Lord, any, anywhere that we're walking, that we're proceeding, anywhere in our life that is moving um, in the wrong direction, God, I pray that your sweet wind of heaven would blow across our soul and bring us into alignment. God, I pray that for the ones in the room who have stopped, who feel lethargic, who feel unwilling or unable to, to, to be moving again, God, that we, would, that we would cross this threshold, that we wouldn't just appreciate the view from the doorway, Lord, but that we would come out of where we've been, that we would take that leap of faith and step into what's next. And God, for those in here who have sat down, who've gotten comfortable. For those of us, Lord, and I myself at times have gotten comfortable being critical of something that you're not critical of. God, I pray that we would get up from that place and by the power of your spirit, move back into the meditation of your word day and night. Plant us firmly, Lord. Plant us firmly so that when we prosper, 
It's through you. It's through your word, and it gives you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. We will see you at VBS. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.